You need to have your work at A+, and you need to have your faith at A+. Five seven three nine. The twelve most asked questions of Christians, Part Five. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. And today we are in the midst of the series called the Twelve Most Asked Questions of Christians, and we're on question number three that I actually had to divide into three parts of how do you get to heaven. And today I'm on that third part of that question. Some of the most controversial stuff I've ever run across. I tossed and turned. That's why I've got my sleeves rolled up. I've got on my jeans and pants that I wore today. I don't have on the clothes that normally Lucretia picks out for me. I just got my own stuff on today because I just got to work. I just do. Today is different. It feels different. I've been sweating over this thing. Because I don't want to mislead anybody and I want to deliver as best as I can the Word of God. Now I'm going to start with Matthew. You've heard the verse before. Matthew chapter 19 starting at the 16th verse, New King James Version. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, This is the question that is one of the 12 most asked of Christians that was directly asked of Jesus. And when I began answering the question, how do you get to heaven, God spoke to me. He said, only use the words of Jesus. Now you do understand that Jesus is the only mediator between man and God. He's the only way in. He is the ultimate authority. There is no higher authority than Jesus when it comes to getting into heaven because he stands at the door. You've got to go through him, by him, in order to get in heaven. So he is the ultimate authority. So God says, you just use the words of Jesus. So here is a man who comes to Jesus to ask Jesus that direct question. How do I get into heaven? What must I do to get eternal life? How do I get into heaven? And here Jesus answers him. First he says, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. That's deep in all of itself. The humility that Jesus had. Now why he said this, we can only speculate. Because so much of the other texts and the other writings said Jesus was perfect without sin. That's not what Jesus said. It's just not what he said. He said, don't call me good. There is none good but the Father. And there is the other scripture where it says Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You only learn obedience if something you ain't been obedient with. So Jesus said, look, don't call me. These are his words, not mine. That's why God said, use just his words. He said, don't call me good. There's only one good. That's the Father. So Jesus, first of all, he put Everything He stood on the word of God. He placed everything. He said, I can't do anything. I don't see my daddy do. Everything he gave complete tribute to God. First principle. So you look at even Jesus. He didn't put anything, even himself, above God. No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Because you know it's 613 commandments. So the man who came to Jesus said, which commandments? Because there's 613 of them. Which commandments? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the problem with this, and that's why I say I've been wrestling with this, those are not the Ten Commandments. Those are six. 
So he asked Jesus specifically, which ones? Jesus left out the first one. He left out the second one. He left out the third one. And he left out the fourth one. He started with the fifth one. And even the tenth one, which basically says, Thou shalt not covet anything of thy neighbors, he changed to thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why did he leave out the first four? Now, my mind is kind of like this. And it's like this because I've learned through experience and just through God's work to look at exactly what he said, exactly what he didn't say. Don't put anything in it. Don't take anything out of it. Look at exactly. He left out the first four. The first four commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day. They are all really based in religion. The next six are not. And it doesn't matter what faith you are. Those next six are valid. It don't matter what faith you are. The next six are valid. The first four are Christian or Judaic specific. The next six, it don't matter what religion you are. They are human values of how to live properly between you and your fellow man. Now, why did Jesus leave out the first four? I don't know. He did not say. But what he did say was, when the man asked him, which ones? He named those six. And then the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, now, this story is repeated in the other Gospels. It's repeated in Mark. It's repeated in Luke. But the Matthew version is more detailed. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect. Perfect is a, another level. And I tell you, I don't even want to be perfect. I'd like to strive for it, but I'm not going to be perfect. I don't know anybody who is. I just don't. If you want to be perfect, I don't even want to be perfect. Because I'm going to just make some mistakes. I mean, you make some today. I just got some problems. I really do. A lot of people think that I am highly disciplined. And I am relative to everybody else. But I don't live my life relative to everybody else. I live my life to what God has told me to do. I have problems with doing what God has told me to do. Just in some of the basic things of life. Let me tell you. Because there be some stuff I want to do. <laughs> it just be some stuff I want to do. And it'd be some stuff I want to do that's not quite in line with what God... And it's just simple things. I can relate so well to Paul when he said, you know, the things I should do, them, the things I don't, the very things I ought not to be doing, the very things I find myself... Can y'all relate to that? Can you relate to that? So I'm being real. That's why I had to roll up my sleeve. This shirt has some fancy cuffs. So I ain't putting on no cuffs. I'm just rolling up my sleeve because I'm being real with you. Can we talk? I'm just being real with you. I have some issues... Trying to be perfect because this flesh is not perfect. I think I'm better than the vast majority, but I just have some issues and I see my flaws and shortcomings and I wrestle with them and I try to get better and better and better and still I fall short. I just can't be perfect. But Jesus told him, he said, if you want to be perfect, he did not say if you want eternal life. He said, if you want to be perfect. And there's a difference in if you want to be perfect and if you want eternal life. And this is one of those keys. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I got a problem with that. I really do. I'm just being real. I got a problem with that. But, well, Pastor, why do you have a problem with that? 
because I'm a rich man. I got a problem with that. I earn in the top almost tenth of 1% of the incomes in this nation. I'm technically a rich man. I got a problem with that. He basically said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I got a problem with that. I'm just being real. And see, most people who I know trying to get rich, if they're not rich, they're trying to get rich. So even if you're not rich, you're trying to get rich. And Jesus said, plain as day, it is as hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven as a camel the eye of a needle. I don't research that verse because I've heard folks say, well, that really was a gate in the wall in Jerusalem and the camel had to bend. I can't find that anywhere. They're like what Jesus said, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I got an issue with that. And I had to study that myself and find the instance of where a rich man was granted entry into kingdom. And that man was Zacchaeus. And I preached a sermon on how the rich get to heaven. So if you're rich or you're trying to get rich, you need to go to brothersoftheword.com and listen to that sermon, How the Rich Get to Heaven. And it explains that because otherwise I was going to be faced with the decision, do I give up all my money and not be rich so I can get into heaven? And see, that's why I don't look on that rich young ruler and say, my goodness, what a... No, because most of y'all can't do it either. You can't do it either. So don't look at that man like, oh, that's so terrible. Most of y'all can't do it either. Especially the more you have, the harder it is to give up all your stuff. Most of you can't give up all your stuff. No, you won't even let somebody borrow your car for a day, much less give up all your stuff. So this is real. And this is what we face, but it's the word of Jesus. And, you know, it's in the words of Jesus, but actually... It's not just isolated with Christianity. Hinduism is like that. Some other religions, when you do comparative religious studies, in Hindu, they're supposed to go through three phases of life. They have the youthful phase, the adult phase, and they say once they get older, they give away all that stuff and take a bowl and just go out into the society. But hardly any rich Hindus can do that either. So it's just hard to do. But in How the Rich Get to Heaven, I go through the story of Zacchaeus. And it does say when it begins, Zacchaeus was a rich man. And yet Jesus told Zacchaeus he was going to be with him. So how did Zacchaeus get the keys to get into the kingdom of heaven? You need to listen. If you're rich or you're trying to get rich, how the rich get to heaven. So here as we continue with this rich young ruler. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You just can't be perfect. Jesus knew it, and he told the disciples, You just can't be perfect, so you can't do this on your own. But with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, now, I want you to understand this because nobody's ever preached on this either. Jesus said, when you've left, that's a lot of stuff to leave. They done left the money, the houses, the land, the mama, the father, the wife, and the children. But understand what he said. He said, for my name's sake. Not that you leave, for my name's sake. That's a little bit of a difference there. So he said, everyone who's left all this stuff, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So this is Jesus' direct answer to the question, how do I get eternal life? And that answer is not overly simple. He told you, obey those commandments, and if you want to be perfect, Move away from all of the material things in the world. And I do understand that. 
It's just not easy. Now, let me just read Scott McKnight. He wrote an article in Christianity Today. And this perhaps clearly outlines some of the theological discussion and controversy that exists. It's not preached, but it exists in the theological circles. Many biblical scholars and lay Christians have noted that Jesus preached almost exclusively about the kingdom of heaven, while Paul highlighted justification by faith. Some conclude that they preached two different gospels. Others argue that they really both preached justification. Still others say it's all about the kingdom. And his question was, what gives? What's the truth? He says, my experience is not unusual. Many of us have made a move from Paul to Jesus and an increasing tension remains among evangelists about who gets to set the terms, Jesus or Paul. In other words, will we center our gospel teaching and living on the kingdom or justification by faith? Now, this is a raging debate that has raged for I don't know how long. Among theological circles, most of the modern evangelical Christians right now, it preaches primarily what's called the Pauline gospel or justification by faith. So what is the truth about this thing? And when you start researching it, you'll find some really controversial stuff. Some folk just believe that Paul was way off. Some folk believe Paul was spot on. And it's a debate that raced through. So I had to ask myself, what did Jesus say about Paul? See, that's what really matters. See, if you got a deal and you got to go by Jesus, what really matters, what did Jesus say? That's why God said, you look at just what Jesus said. So I had to go back and let me find out what Jesus said about Paul. Now, you know what happened with Paul, who was initially called Saul. He was on the Damascus road, got struck blind. Paul was killing Christians and persecuting Christians right and left. He was an Orthodox Jew, and Christianity was upsetting the standard Judaic faith. So Paul was persecuting Christians right and left. He was killing Christians right and left. So he got struck blind on the Damascus road. And as he was struck blind in Acts chapter 9, I'm going to begin with the 10th verse. Basically, Jesus talked to Ananias to go and restore Paul's sight. And this is those verses. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I think that's the only street ever been named in the Bible. That I can recall plenty of cities and towns and all that. That's the only street, and the street just happened to be a street called Straight. So he tells you stuff just even in the street name. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and asked for a man from Tarshish named Saul. That was his name before it was changed to Paul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Paul is praying, or Saul at the time is praying because he's blind. Do you know when stuff happened to you, it'll drop you to your knees in a second? So he's lost his sight, and that's a serious situation. It's serious even now, especially back then. So Paul was on his knees just praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And this is what Ananias said, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who called on your name. So Ananias said, he said, what? You want me to go and heal this man who's persecuting and killing us and all of the people who are calling on your name, this man is persecuting? You want me to go heal him? Sometimes God will tell you to do some stuff that makes no sense at all in the natural. And I can understand Ananias' point. But the Lord said to Ananias, this is the point. These are Jesus' words. Go, this man is my chosen instrument 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. In other words, Jesus said, look, this is the man I've chosen to carry my name to the Gentiles and to the house of Israel and to their kings. Jesus said, I chose him. So for those who criticize the Pauline gospel and the Pauline doctrine, Jesus chose him. Jesus chose him. Jesus said, this is my man, this is who I'm sending, I chose him. So if Jesus chose him, that validates Paul because Jesus chose him. Yet theologians still will question and argue about the so-called differences in the Jesus doctrine and the Pauline doctrine. And just reading the two without understanding, yes, it does appear there's a big difference in the two. But you've got to understand some things. And then there's the argument that, well, when Jesus died and rose, there emerged a new covenant. And all of the old was washed away. But what did Jesus say when he came back? Let me read that to you. If you go to the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, and basically these are the last words of Jesus as he has come back on the earth. Matthew 28, beginning at the 18th verse, is the NIV version. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. This is fundamentally the disciples' commands. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now this is Jesus after he's been crucified, after he came back. He said, go, baptize the folk, and teach them everything I have commanded you. He didn't change a thing. This is the words of He didn't change a thing. He said, teach them everything I have commanded you. So it gets real to understand it, and it took me a while to really just go through this thing and really try to understand the real essence of that question. Well, what do I do? How do I get to heaven do I listen to actually the words of Jesus do I take the Pauline doctrine and I'm just saved by grace and don't have to worry about these works what do I do and there's a lot of confusion especially among people who read and do theological discussion it's not as simple as it seems without an understanding and these are the conclusions that I reached after reading and studying the words of Jesus the conclusions after studying the gatekeeper, the one who all of us must go past to get to heaven. These are the conclusions. Number one, Jesus taught to enter the kingdom of heaven, follow the will of God. First thing. Number two, Jesus didn't say that it was easy. He never did. Matthew seven thirteen. this is a scripture we all know. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. He didn't say it was easy. It's difficult, the way that leads to life. Number three, works, nor calling Jesus' name alone will get you in. Works nor calling Jesus' name alone will get you in. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That goes right back to that first point. Those who do God's will. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now, if you notice, we got a lot of stuff going on on the other side. You notice that has not happened before? I told you this is the most important message and the most important thing. James preached a while back on deep work and how to avoid distraction. You got more distraction with this message than any other message. And that's the way stuff will work. 
when it's really something you really need to know, there are distractions that will come to try to take your focus and to take your mind. Do not be distracted when God is trying to tell you something. Works nor calling Jesus' name will get you in. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, or ye who practice lawlessness. That's a heavy-duty verse. But it basically says even those who do great work, they're not guaranteed to get into heaven. And someone asked me after I dealt with that verse in the prior sermon, and I told people they knew Jesus, but Jesus didn't know them. And they asked me the question, how do I make sure Jesus knows me? That's a real good question. But it lets you know, no, you can't get into heaven by works alone. They say, Lord, Lord, you can't get into heaven just by calling Jesus' name. So there's some other things based on the gatekeeper, based on the one who decides whether you get in or not, based on the gatekeeper, there's some other stuff. Number four, there are levels in heaven. And there are several things Jesus says, by no means will you enter the kingdom of heaven. There are levels in heaven. Let me try it best illustrate the levels in heaven. Now Jesus said in several instances, those who do this will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, those who do this will be least. He says that on multiple occasions, so it lets you know everybody in heaven is not the same. That's why when you pray the Lord's prayer, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus says the things that you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The things that you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. There are levels in heaven. There's greatest and least. Everybody's not the same. It's the same as it is here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. It's the same way. Do you know there are levels here on the earth? The United States is viewed by many countries as paradise. If you go to many countries and you do a lot of traveling, especially in third world countries, everybody wants to get to America because America is the land of opportunity. America is the land of paradise. They literally view America as heaven on earth. And compared sometimes to their condition, when I was in the Amazon, I've told you the story before, when I was in the Amazon and I was back through the jungle, there were no doors on the huts. Everybody just, they didn't have anything. Children were fascinated over an ink pen. When we were in Africa, you know what they gave us and told us to give the children as gifts? Do you all remember what those were? Pencils. We took wooden pencils and children, they would shout up and down when they got a pencil. So you try to give a child a pencil in America. They shouted up and down and almost shed tears to get a pencil. So the United States is viewed by many in the world as literally heaven on earth. But do you know there are levels here? And in the U.S., you can be on the bottom, which is still better to be on the bottom. When I was in the Amazon and they were telling we're going to go to the rich man's house when we got out of the jungle. You know what? differentiated the rich man's house he had electricity because he had a generator that was the rich man he had a generator to make electricity the poorest home in America has electricity so we have stuff here that even our least is above the best in other places but there are levels so Jesus was saying the least and the greatest in heaven there are levels in heaven And I've told you, I don't want anything on an average basis. When I get to heaven, I don't even want to be on the bottom in heaven. I really don't. I want to be at the top. I may not be to be the grave, but I don't want to be on the bottom even in heaven because heaven has levels. So that's one of the keys of understanding this is that Jesus says those who teach to obey everything God said shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those who teach to not to obey everything God said, going to be the least. And that's one of those prime things to understand is that there are levels, and Jesus based those levels based on 
following God's will or not following God's will. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes, they actually taught the law. The problem is they were corrupt on the inside. And that's why Jesus told me, outside you're white as snow, on the inside you're dead men's bones. So it was an inside thing. So law will not save you, but getting closer to God's will takes you higher in the kingdom of heaven and following God's will. So it's a critical point as I dug through trying to understand all of this stuff. There are levels in heaven, and there are some things that are really difficult to understand. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That's deep. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my sake, my name, receives me. So it's not as simple as it may seem. Matthew five nineteen: whoever breaks least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. John 3, 3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And he doesn't define born again. He said, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. You remember when Nicodemus went to Jesus in the night and Jesus told him, Nicodemus, what that mean? You know what Jesus answered? He said, you're a master of Israel and you don't know this meaning of this. He didn't explain it. Now, if you ask 10 preachers what it means to be born again, you probably get 10 different answers. Because it's not clearly defined. Works do not determine whether you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But this is one of the big points, and this is the thing that I was able to distill out of all of this. And it comes from literally the last words of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Chapter 22 of Revelation is the last chapter in the last book of the Bible. So when you look at Revelation, there's one particular verse that made things clear to me. And there is some, what I would call, upper level mystical stuff dealing with the kingdom of heaven. But there was one verse that made it clear to me with the discussion between works and salvation and and grace and faith and the commandments. There was one verse that made it clear or clearer. And when you look in Revelation, Revelation was written by John on the Isle of Patmos. And when I went to Greece, it was my year to choose the brother's trip. We take an annual trip every year with all of the brothers. So my year, God spoke to me, you'll go to the Isle of Patmos. And that's where I had my crash on the Isle of Patmos. So I don't spread blood on the Isle of Patmos. But we were there literally in the cave where John wrote the book of Revelation. And in this last book, this last chapter, chapter 22 of Revelation, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And then Jesus said, these are in red, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And John continues, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, 
I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Now verse 12 is where Jesus speaks. These are in red. The 22nd chapter of Revelation, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. The King James Version says, according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse number 12 in the last book, the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says, I'm coming with reward in my hand. And I'm going to dish out those rewards based on the works that you have done. Not my words. Jesus' words. And this is Jesus' words after he has ascended. I'm coming with reward in my hand. Now, get the key difference. Who he is talking to are the folk who are saved. He's not separating in this point the saved versus the unsaved. He said, I got reward in my hand and I am going to give you every man his reward based on his work, based on what he has done. So what I saw was this. Paul is absolutely right. We're not saved by works because we just can't be perfect. We're not saved by work. We're saved by grace. But we are rewarded in heaven based on those levels, based on our work. Because Jesus said that, not me. Jesus said that. And he doesn't even say but just a few more words after. Let me just read you the words that he says after that. So he almost closes the Bible with this. After that, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And I think that's about all Jesus says after that, except for the last word, yes, I am coming soon. So the very last words of Jesus, he told you how he's going to reward you. And he said, it's based on what you have done. So I tell you this. To sum this thing up, how to get to heaven. First of all, do what God says. And the closer you do what God says, the higher you will be. It's kind of that way in the earth. The more diligent you are with stuff in the earth, it's the same way. The closer you get and the more you do to what God says for you to do, the higher you will be. You have to believe in Jesus. He is the door. He is the truth. He is the way and the life. No one enters the kingdom except by him. So you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to have faith. You're not saved by works, but it does appear that your level of reward is determined by that. Let me tell you an experience I had years ago. I've been publishing Mountain Wings now for a long time. and I was actually looking at the account of the donations that we had in Mountain Wings. This probably been 10 or 12 years ago. And as I pulled up the account, the balance in the account was almost $55 trillion. Let me explain. I said trillion, not million, not billion, trillion. See, a million is a thousand thousand. A billion is a thousand million. And a trillion is $1,000 billion. So I'm looking at this account. It's saying 54 trillion, 900 something billion, such as this. I'm like, what in the world? So I contacted the processing company 
that handle the account. They say, ain't nothing wrong with our system. They say, your account is accurate. I say, there's no way it's accurate. Man, you know, the thing is almost saying I got $55 trillion. Do you know the whole gross national product of the United States is nowhere close to that? This is almost 10 years of all the money produced in the United States. And this is what they're saying I got. He said, ain't nothing wrong with our system. He said, what your account shows is accurate. I said, there's no way. I said, well, I'm going to just leave this long. For I'm just sitting there just laughing. And I heard God speak. That's your heavenly bank account. And see, it's the same way on earth. We're all blessed. We're all children of God. But we got different bank accounts. We're all blessed. We're all children of God. But it's different levels of bank accounts. Right now, some of y'all bank accounts will not clear $100. And in some of you, you can write a check for $100,000 and it won't blink. We all got bank accounts. We're all in the land of opportunity and the promised land is viewed by the rest of the world, but we have different levels of accounts. Some worried if your check right now going to clear. Others, you worried about which account you're going to write a check on because you got so many. It's different levels of accounts. And that's why Jesus said, don't store your treasure on earth where moth and rust stuff corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Put your treasure in heaven. So that is my conclusion after going through all of this and rolling up my sleeves and wrestling with this stuff. And it's basically similar to what I preach on every other thing. You need to do what you need to do in wisdom and what God has said. God provides the grace on the stuff you cannot do and the errors you make. And he provides a covering for that. He sent Jesus for our sins. They actually had that in the Old Testament. That's what the sacrifices were for. And they had to kill them animals. It was a river of blood flowing out of the temple trying to get rid of the folk's sins. So it's the same principle. He just sent the lamb for all of our sins, but we still need to do what we're supposed to do. And we still need to do what God tells us to do. We still need to be right. And our works determines the level of reward because it's not all the same in heaven, just like it's not all the same in earth. And I don't want an overdrawn account in heaven. I don't want to have to write a check in heaven and be worried about how I'm going to make it. Because it's different. See, plenty of us feel with the Holy Ghost, but some of us worry about how we're going to pay our bills. So the levels of accounts down here are not all even. Nor will they be in heaven. That's why I say, put your treasure in heaven. Do you think everybody got the same treasure in heaven? Uh-uh. And that's why Jesus said in that Revelation 22, 12, I got the reward in my hand and I'm going to issue these rewards to every man based upon his works. So do what you're supposed to do. Follow the word of God. Build your treasure in heaven and trust in Jesus. Call on his name. And I want you to listen to see Elijah's last message called Super Abounding Grace. It's message number 7741. And it's so powerful. And it talks about the grace of God. Because he's given me just grace to no end. He really has. But my blessing increases the more I am obedient. My blessing increases the more that I am obedient. And that's why God spoke another level. I'm beginning to see that clearer and clearer. He wants to take us to another level. He doesn't even want you in heaven on the bottom. I want you at the top. I want you raised up. But first you got to get in there. First you got to get in. Just like getting in the United States, you're basically not going to starve. Even on welfare in the United States, you still do pretty good but I'd rather not be on welfare. So this is trying to take you to another level in Christ. And Jesus is heavily work-centered because he knew when he said, I'm going to base my reward of what I'm going to give you based on your work. So he knew that. And that's one of the reasons why he was so work-centered. Paul is more grace-centered because he knew we needed grace just to even get in in the first place. So when you're able to look at the picture of both of them, there's really not a dichotomy between the two. You need both of them. 
So you need to have your work at A+, plus, and you need to have your faith at A+. Plus. But you need to have both of them because faith without work is dead. So that's basically it in a, it's not a nutshell. We actually, over time, I knew we were going to run over time today. I knew it because this wasn't a simple subject. We had more distraction than ever. That didn't surprise me because this is some of the things that's more important than ever for your salvation. See, the higher levels of anything require more effort. They always have. Nothing different about it. It's like that in heaven and earth. The higher levels of anything have always required more effort. After the longest sermon I've delivered in a very long time, but it's worth it. And I just believe it. I want you into heaven. And you know, it's kind of, we take communion today. This is a good example. This is my communion. Now, everybody gets a glass and a cracker. I got one, two, three, four, five, six crackers and two glasses of wine. So, Pastor, why you got that much? Because there's no limit on how much of the blood of Jesus you can get. There's no limit, and I recognize that. It's tradition that you get one cracker and one glass of wine, but I've always got several crackers and I got as many glasses of wine as my hand will hold because I recognize the choices and you see Jesus did say there was a new covenant when you read it yeah he did say there's a new covenant you know did he say the new covenant this is my blood that is the new covenant I want a double dose of the new covenant so I got me a double dose of his flesh I actually got a sixfold dose of his flesh and a double dose of his blood Get all of Jesus you can get. Changes your world. It changes your life. Changes your relationship. Changes everything around you. But it's what we got to do. Jesus, he really was all about doing. He really was. But he also understood don't have that fake doing. Don't have that fake doing. If you're not above the scribes and Pharisees, you surely shall not get into heaven. Don't have that fake stuff. Don't be just doing it because the folk can see you. No, no, don't have that fake stuff. That stuff needs to be real. It needs to be real. How you know it's real, Pastor? Because you that way in private. That's how you know it's real. You that way in private. You that way at home. It doesn't make a difference how you stand up here. See, no, you that way in private. You that way when nobody sees you. That's the real you. When no one is looking at you, that's the real you. How are you that way? And that determines the real essence of what's inside of you. Not how you are standing up here dressed up in front of folk. How are you in private? That's why Jesus said, look, y'all want to be all this stuff out in public to all these folk, to get all this praise, all this money. And inside, when you get home, you ain't nothing like that. We need to be real with it. Don't play church. We need to be real with this thing because heaven is real. And that's why I said when I got up, I'm high as H. Now, when most people hear that term, they think instinctively that they're high as hell. No, I'm high as heaven. But instinctively, folks think I'm high as hell. Because there are more folk high as hell than high as heaven. So you got to make sure you got the right high because the wrong high will take you in the wrong direction mama you got something you want to say okay (laughs) I was sitting there tears in my eyes because you have to know the man When he was a teenager, we were members of the Wheat Street Baptist Church. And once per month, they would print out your givings. Nathaniel was in high school and he gave more money than his mother and father put together in high school. Dale Bronner's ministry started because 
he recorded all of his messages and put them on tape. He has been so grounded and rooted in God, getting the gospel out. And the mother have lived with it, even Gloria knows. What he is preaching, he lives it. In the founding of this church, he was the one that came and took up the helmet and carried it to the finish line. These were wooden floors, wooden benches. All of this was here. But he wouldn't give that to God. He wanted to give the best to God. And he asked God, and God told him what to do, how to do these seats. Make them in gold. The carpet. The window. I was just four. Just four. And he gives. Even I want you to know as a mother and when he's talking about what he's talking about giving that's all he knows that's who he is that's why God has blessed him his investment is by God We thank you for joining us at Brothers of the Word because, brother, you need the Word. You are listening to BrothersoftheWord.com. This was part five of the series titled The Twelve Most Asked Questions of Christians by Nathaniel Bronner. This message is number 5739. That's 5739. To listen to over a thousand free messages or to send this message number 5739. To a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because, brother, you need the word. Well, brothers of the word.